Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. Whether you're thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career, we want to help you live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my HR leadership expertise, and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, pointers, career stories, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to How to Increase Your Engagement for Greater Career Fulfillment. Our engagement can ebb and flow throughout our whole career for so many reasons. Today, we'll discuss the key ways to take control of our own engagement based on what matters most to us. When your engagement is high, you'll have much more impact and a much more fulfilling career. To tell us about it, our guest today is Deborah Corey. Deborah is a highly experienced, award-winning HR leader, world-class speaker, three-time author, global engagement influencer. She's worked for global companies such as Gap Inc., Honeywell, Merlin Entertainments, where she developed and delivered HR strategies, as she says, in a rebellious way, pushing boundaries and challenging the status quo to truly drive employee engagement. She founded her own company, focused on employee engagement, and is the chief pay-it-forward officer, inspiring and helping others to bring out their own inner rebel and enhance their careers. Welcome, Deborah, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me here today. We all know, I hope we know, companies are focused on engagement, and it matters so much from a company perspective. Who doesn't want employees to be incredibly engaged as they come to work. Why, though, does it matter from an employee perspective? And what is engagement? I'm going to start with what engagement is, and then I'll move into why it matters. It's interesting, Mary, because when I do talks and workshops on employee engagement, I normally put up a couple of different words on the screen, words like committed and dedicated and passionate and satisfied, energetic and happy. And the reason I have those words is those are ones when you Google engagement, those come up the most common. And I always ask the audience, so what do you think? Is that what employee engagement is? And most of them shake their heads, yes. And then the rebel in me tells them, actually, that's wrong. And it's not that we don't want people to be satisfied, energetic, happy. And we as employees want to be that. But to me, employee engagement is so, so much more than that. It's really that deep connection. I'm sure we've all experienced where we have that deep connection, either in your personal life with a really strong relationship or in the workplace. And it is more than happy because let's be real, we don't all have 100% happy days, 100% energetic days every single day. And that doesn't mean that you're not engaged or you don't have a relationship. So to me, it's more of that connection, that understanding, that respect, that knowing that one another are going to care and support each other. I love that. I mean, you said We've all had that experience. I hope everyone's had that experience somewhere at work, but it isn't always the case, is it? No, and I'm the kind of person who I truly believe that you learn from the good and the bad. And so when you and I worked together, interestingly, at Gap, that was one of my most favorite companies I ever worked at. I was probably the most engaged any other organization anywhere. I was actually there 10 years, which for me is a very long time. And it was everything about the company was just right. It was like a puzzle piece. I fit in perfectly. Not that I was the same as everyone else, but 
I believed in what the company was doing. I believed in how we were doing it, the people, the purpose, the values, everything. And it's interesting because when I left, I changed companies a couple of times because although they were all good, they all missed a couple of the puzzle pieces and they didn't have that full picture of what engagement was for Deborah Corey. It doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with the company, but it just wasn't right for me. And I can tell you personally, the difference in working in a company when you're 100% engaged and disengaged, I've never been disengaged, but I haven't been 100% engaged in as many companies throughout my career. Well, let's talk about so some of the puzzle pieces. So you mentioned the belief in what the company's doing, their purpose, if they call it that, their values, you kind of liked the people you worked with or you respected them, whatever words you'd use. What are those puzzle pieces? I wrote a book about employee engagement and it's called Build It, the Rebel Playbook for Employee Engagement. And in it, we have a model. It's a 10-part model. And I'm very cheeky because when I do workshops with people, I make them guess what the 10 parts are. And the reason I make people guess it is because it's not rocket science. So if I asked anybody listening today, what are the 10 drivers either for you as an HR person or a leader? And then what do you personally think is important? You probably, most people get eight out of 10 of them, I have to say. It's things like purpose, mission, and values. You have to believe in what the company is doing and how they're living it through their values. Communications, open and honest communications. You don't want to work for a company that is not going to be communicating in an honest way, in a trustful way. Leaders and managers. So you want to have leaders and managers who support you in management practice that actually, again, trusts you, engages with you. I'm working my way through the bridge here. Learning and development. It's so, so important to be stretched and to learn as you're in a role. Recognition. Everybody wants to be appreciated and feel valued for their contributions. Job design, that's the one that people usually miss. But to me, it's fundamental because if you don't like the work that you're doing, how can you be engaged? And then the three at the bottom of the bridge are pay and benefits, workspace, and well-being. And those are the 10. And you refer to it as a bridge. It is because, again, if the way that I like to think of engagement is that connection. And if you think about a bridge... It's connecting one place to another. So that's why we came up with the idea of a bridge because I'm very visual. I like to be able to see something. And that's exactly, if you Google engagement bridge, you can see it. And then interesting, the thing that's not on the bridge is culture. And people always ask me, why is culture not on the bridge? And that's really because I think culture is really an output of everything else. If you do all those things. Exactly. It's not like I'm going to say, I'm going to put in a new culture program. I'm going to do lots of things to help the culture, but I can't design specifically a culture program. So Deborah, what were those last three again? Pay and benefits? Pay and benefits, workspace. Workspace. And well-being. It's interesting because when we, I mean, the bridge, let's see, the book's been out for three years now and the world has changed. So we added workspace because in the middle of writing the book, we were redoing our office in London. And we realized how the actual physical workspace could be engaging to a person. But interestingly, now when most people are working remotely, workspace has a different meaning. So that's a different one. And also well-being, again, was a new one that we added to the bridge. But now well-being to me is just even more important than it ever was before. Physically and mentally. Exactly. I think a lot of these have been underplayed in the past. Even we 
well, it's dropping soon, but a podcast coming on job crafting, which is your point on job design. It's very much you can't just take what you're given. You have control over a lot of that, which is really important. I was curious about, you ask it from the perspective of what's important to HR leaders and what's important to people themselves. Is there a difference and what are you seeing? The way that I look at engagement, and probably you're the same way, is that any relationship is two ways. So it's just as important for the employee to be engaged, for you personally to be engaged. And that's why I always talk about how you build a bridge at your company. So there's no order of the bridge. And the reason is because, to be honest with you, each company is different and actually each person is. So for me right now, learning might be the most important thing for me. At another point in time, I don't know, recognition might be most important to me. So I think it's really important for people to be honest with themselves and honest with their manager and their leaders and let them know what are their drivers of employee engagement. Because I do believe that every single person is different. And that's probably why it's so challenging to I totally drive agree. engagement. So you used the example at the time when you were at The Gap. Would you have said that was probably as high as you could get? I mean, you really showed up for you, but you had also showed up in your work and really impacted you career-wise? Yeah. And again, I'd ask everybody to just think about those moments and just think about how you feel mentally. How do you feel physically? And yeah, when I was at Gap, yes, I constantly, I changed roles quite a few times and I was always learning. I was always being pushed. I was never comfortable, but that's because that's just what I like. And as a matter of fact, right now during the pandemic, I've sort of gone through probably everyone else with this roller coaster of emotions and roller coaster of engagement. I wrote a book in December, but I've just started adding a new chapter to it. And all of a sudden, I wake up in the morning and I jump out of bed. I mean, to me, that's engagement where it's just like, you don't hit the snooze button. You're just so excited. It's not easy. I'm trying to do interviews with companies to be in the book. And it certainly isn't easy. I have to keep chasing after people and I have to keep calling them. And But it doesn't matter. I'm engaged. So Deborah, two things come to mind on this. Let's talk about how can one tell to the best they can before they join a company that these things will be there and it will be such a good match that they'll really be engaged? And maybe what can they address once they're there? Because sometimes I think the leader manager's support, I think we could all check that out even more while we're interviewing or considering a company, but you can't always know everything. Things show up later. So what are your views on what can you tell before you go on the bridge, on those elements? That's really where you need to do the soul searching. And I learned this the hard way because I was looking for a job description that sounded like it was the right thing for me. And I was looking for a company name and the business that was right for me. But I wasn't really doing that soul searching about what was most important. And it probably took me a couple years after leaving Gap to actually figure out what was most important for me. And interestingly, I came up with what I call the three Ps. And this is just me, nobody else. To me, it was I had to work for a company where I believed in the purpose. I had to get excited about the business. It had to be meaningful for me and their values had to be important. The people were really important. When I talked about culture before, you want to have people that you're going to have a lot in common with. I worked for a company once where when I left, my boss, who I loved, said to me, don't ever work for a company that only does things in black and white because you see too much color. And to me, that was like, it just was the wrong fit. So that's the P. Then the people and then the pace. For me, what I learned was when I worked at Gap, the pace was go, 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 go. And I loved it. I loved that type of adrenaline rush. 
And I worked for some companies where the process was so slow, it drove me insane. I mean, I worked for one company where I put in a retirement plan for 10 people in one country, and I had 20 people on my project team. Oh, those days are gone. (laughs) You can imagine how long. I think you need to be clear as to what are your three Ps, five Ps, six Ss, whatever it is. So that's the thing. I was wondering if some elements on this bridge to engagement are more foundational or underpinning or some matter more, but are you saying everyone's foundation or core could be different? It depends which of these matter most to them. Absolutely. And it changes all the time, depending on what you're going through in your life. When I first adopted my kids, I wanted more flexibility. Before that, I was a workaholic. So I think you really need to stay in tune with yourself. And it's almost like every year, take a step back and think about what are the drivers for you? Is this a year where you want to focus on learning? Is that the most important thing for you? Or is this the time where actually my well-being is most important and I want to work for a company that's going to support my well-being? So yeah, I think you really need to take stock and continue to take stock. And then when you go to the interviews, in the same way that when we're interviewed as a candidate, People ask for examples. Give me an example of when you had to deal with a difficult person. Give me an example of how you support well-being. Give me a situation where someone had a challenge outside of work. What did you do to support them? And create questions that will help you understand how the company is actually living the bridge. I love that. And the workspace one I find fascinating too. At Rolls-Royce, we went to, in our headquarters, from a very, very, very traditional office set up quite to full open plan. Even the CEO had a stand-up desk. Now, I can tell you, I led it. I was part of it. (laughs) We did it. And it was very successful overall. But I struggled with being an open plan like that. And I thought, what I really learned through that as well is it cannot ever be one size fits all for everybody. Because in concept, that's a great thing to be more open and to have that collaboration and all of the goodness. But it really is challenging for some roles and some people. So there's a lot of this. I think we always stress purpose, values, mission, all those things. But all these others are really, really important. Yeah. And it's interesting because my approach to everything is flexibility. So your point, I think is a really good one, is a lot of companies just jump to open plan, but they hadn't thought about all the different types of work styles, all the different personality styles. And I learned a lot because as I mentioned, when we were writing the book, we were changing our office in London and we worked with this specialist in design. And what they taught us was that you need to design into your workspace different personality styles. So we had one space that was for people who liked all the noise and excitement. We had one space that was for quiet. We had other spaces where you wanted to go for a quiet meeting. And there's a whole science behind how you do that, building flexibility into workspace And I could see a huge difference in engagement just by the space. And when I wrote my book, I interviewed someone from Adobe and he introduced, I mean, there's even more concepts in work design. He says, you use all your senses. Who knew that you design a workspace with like smell and feel? I mean, I'm not an expert in it, but yeah, I find it fascinating. I do too. And so back to the individual perspective. We as individuals pursuing our career journeys, this should matter a lot to us, but often I don't see it coming from the individual. You see it more coming from the company. What are your thoughts on 
how individuals who want to control and drive their own engagement can do that? I think, and again, I've learned this the hard way, so it's easy for me to say, is you need to be selfish. I heard someone talking on a podcast the other day, and he said, only work for companies that deserve your greatness. And I thought that was a lovely way of looking at it. You spend so much time at work, you need to make sure that it's right for you. Because also, I've managed people before where it wasn't right for them. And I wasn't comfortable with that. They weren't comfortable with that. It's not good for anyone to be in that situation. You want people where it is going to be the right business for them. So be selfish. And back to what I said before, think about what's important to yourself and really, really be determined with that. I totally agree. And I think it's worth saying, of course, we're in extremely unusual times. And we all, in any journey, you're going to take roles that don't have it all together and are perfect. And you might take them for all kinds of life reasons, especially now. But what we're talking, and even in those, you have some control. You can kind of craft it if you can, or negotiate pay. There are things you can do. But what we're talking about is on the longer journey, in the path you want to be on, ensuring that your engagement is as high as possible. I'm making it sound like the world is perfect and a job is perfect. And let's be real, no job is ever going to be perfect. You need to really decide what are the things that matter. And I'll give you an example, even though my husband is upstairs working right now. So I love my husband. We've got a great relationship, but let's be real. There are certain things that drive me insane. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's going to hear it on the podcast. Is he? <laughs> but you know what? You just park it. So he's not always the cleanest person. He might not put his dishes away right away, or he might not sweep the floor, but I'm willing to live with that because there's other things that I do that make me love him. And I think we need to do that with our companies also. Again, don't expect every element of the bridge to be perfect but you need to decide what are the ones that you need to be as good as they can be. And what are the ones that you can be like, that's okay. I can live with that. Well, you clearly have a bias for action. And I can't imagine you wanting to put up with elements of engagement that weren't where they needed to be. But I think your point is, we all have a little bit more control over that than maybe we know or realize. And if you were to say to someone, if your engagement is lower than you would like, and of course, whether or not they can fix it, what would you recommend? What would you say to them? I do think, again, I said it earlier, I think you need to own your engagement. I think you need to take some responsibility. So we can't expect our manager and our company to know what's going on in our mind. And I've had that situation. I had a boss where things were not going well, and I never told them. And it just escalated, and it got worse, and it got worse. And at the end, we sat down, it's like, why didn't I come to them and talk to them sooner? As long as you do it in the right way, it's much better to have that open and honest conversation. And sometimes we fear it so much that we're our own worst enemy. But it's usually really, really awesome when you do and you work through it. If it isn't, I think it's an indication of a bigger problem. Let me ask you on that. Because obviously, I think sometimes when engagement's low and things aren't going well, the first thought is, I need to make a change. Maybe I need to leave this company. But so much of it could be addressed where they are as well. Exactly. There's sometimes where you can just make the change within your company. As a matter of fact, at Gap, I wasn't disengaged, but I was in one job. I had been doing it for a little bit, and I heard about this job in London. And I was really nervous going to my boss and telling him, oh, I want to go for this job, because I thought he would think, that I just wanted to leave the company. 
But I just felt that I needed a new challenge and I needed to be brave and I needed to own my engagement. I needed to own my career. And it was the best decision I ever made. And I'm still friends with my boss and the whole team that I used to work with. And you've been in London since. I have, yeah. For me, it worked out really, really well. How many years is that? It's been 20 years. 20. That was one of the bravest things I've ever done was to apply for that job because I had no experience working outside of the US. I had no experience doing half of the job. The job was compensation and benefits. I had never done benefits, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And also, I felt supported in the company. I knew that if it didn't work out, I could go back and still work in my old team and be absolutely fine. But it was a very brave Thank step. Thank you for sharing that bit because I do find a lot of people get that excitement part of what's possible, but then they hold themselves back out of confidence or something and don't just take some of those risks. They are the bold, they are risks, but they are really powerful in a career. They are. And I use it as an example all the time about how it didn't just change my life geographically, but it changed me because I always joke and say, if I could move to another country, do a job that I didn't know anything about, I can do anything. And it really has propelled me going forward. So sometimes you just need to take that first jump. And Deborah, we always ask, is there a piece of career advice that it's either served you well or that you think is one you'd like to pass on that could help others in their career? I do talks about being a rebel and I thought a lot of it applies to career advice as well. And when I talk about being a rebel, I talk about you always start with the why and it's what we've been talking about already. So understand what your why is, understand what you want to achieve. You don't have to map out the next 10, 15 years, but get a feel for what you want to do. Why do you want to work? What is the purpose? When you explain to people what you do, how are you going to explain that? The next one that I learned the hard way is that you don't have to be a lone soldier. I used to think that I had to be like the best I could be and that I needed to come up with the best ideas on my own. And what I've learned the hard way is it's the people that you work with, the people that you surround each other with. I mean, you and I worked together how many years ago and here we are today. It's people like yourself, your network that is going to help you and give you confidence and propel you and tell you about opportunities. That's really, really important. And then the third one is to be brave and have no fear. And I think that's it goes back to what I said about taking that jump and moving to London. As long as you have the why, then don't be afraid. I've got a red cape behind me in my office. It's my rebel cape. Put your red cape on and just go for it. I love that. Deborah, thank you so much. It's great insights. And this is also such a good reminder that engagement matters to the impact of our work, to our career journey. And you shared with us some very specific things we can do to check in with where we're at and then do something about it should we choose to. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you very much. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at Modern Career Pod. We'll include the sources noted in the episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon.